Well, good morning. Welcome to Westbridge Church. My name is Jeremiah, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it is awesome to have you with us. I want to say hello to everybody joining us online. Uh, Great to have you joining us through that venue. And uh, if you're in a parent viewing room, that's a great option. If you have small small kids you prefer to keep with you during the service. And uh, real quick, before we jump into the talk, a couple of housekeeping things. If you're a parent and dropped off kids in the kids area on your way out, you should have received a little thank you card. Uh, It's a blank thank you card. And and I just want to ask you, would you consider or just writing a thank you? you note to uh, our, one of our kids' leaders. And the reason is they're all volunteer leaders, uh, and at every service, uh, we do three services every weekend, and uh, uh, you know, every other week I sit down with our kids' team, and we meet and check in, and uh, last week they said, yeah, we're averaging about 20 babies just in the nursery, 20 babies per service. I was like, that's a lot of babies. That's a lot of dirty diapers. And so they're like thinking through like, you know, we're talking about like, how do we manage all this? And there's volunteers back there. And uh, there's so many volunteers that are sitting there holding just in that room. And then outside of that, we have a two-year-old room. And then we have a three-year-old room. And we have a four-year-old room, right? And for every age group across all three services every weekend, there are volunteer leaders that are back there teaching kids, loving on kids, uh, just high-fiving kids and, and showing them the love of God. And so if you would take a minute and just write in that card that you received and just drop it into one of the giving stations, we want those thank you cards to get back to those leaders as a way to say thanks. And if you didn't drop off kids and you're like, hey, I'd really like to say thank you as well, uh, there, you can find the same thing right on the Church Center app, right on your dashboard. If you go into the dashboard, you can find the exact same thing right there, and uh, you can fill out a digital thank you to one of our kids' leaders and just say thanks for all that you do, and we'll make sure all of those responses get posted to them as well. And speaking of kids' leaders, uh, we want to let you know that one of the ways that you can really say thanks is to um, join a team on Christmas Eve and help serve one of our six Christmas Eve services. We have six Christmas Eve services, three on Saturday, three on Sunday. And uh, man, this doesn't commit you to being like, I'm a part of the kids' team permanently, but I could help out during one of those services because we're doing, for the first time, we've always done uh, childcare up through five years old. This year, we're doing childcare up through fifth grade at all of our Christmas Eve services. And so we need a host, an army of volunteers uh, to help pull that off. And so if you'd say, man, I would be willing to serve at a Christmas Eve service because we want to make sure that we've got Uh, a great experience for everybody. You can just go into your dashboard, go on the Church Center app, or uh, write Christmas Eve serve on the back of your connection card and drop that off. And then finally, speaking of Christmas Eve, why do I have to reserve my spot? We want to let you know the reason for that is because we just don't know what the attendance patterns are going to be like. And so we're doing three on Saturday, three on Sunday, and we want you to pre-register because we don't know which ones are going to fill up. And once they fill up and the overflow room fills up, there's just no more seats. And right now we've got nearly a thousand people already registered and uh, they're going to fill up. And so I just want to encourage you to, to... If you want a specific service time, uh, go in and register your spot. It's absolutely free. We just need to know for traffic flow and to make sure we have everything prepared for everybody. So uh, do that today. Do that. If you haven't done that, do it during service. I don't care. Do it right now. That's great. Uh, You can do it anytime. So that will help us to make sure that we have room for everyone, room for the friends that are being invited, uh, because we have a really great message of God's love and hope on on that day, and we want to make sure everybody has an opportunity. All right. Cool. Uh, We are in week two of a series called Reason for the season. And uh, I know that for many people during this time of year, there's a beautiful tradition that a lot of people participate in called Elf on the Shelf. It is a tradition where you put a really creepy doll somewhere in your house and uh, he reports back to Santa. And if your kids are well-behaved, their stockings get filled. And if your kids are, you know, not well-behaved, then they get a lump of coal. 
I think that's how it goes, I'm pretty sure, and uh, there's absolutely no shame here, no judgment. If you participate in that, totally fine. If that's like, you know, you just want to make sure that your kids are in therapy when they're older, absolutely go for it. (laughs) But uh, for those of you who might not have the internet or might not have social media, this is what Elf on the Shelf looks like, and I got to be honest with you, that is creepy to me. I would, if that was in my house, I would sleep with one eye open, all right? Like... (laughs) It just feels like you're getting murdered in the night. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> but here's, here's the thing. For those of you that are like, yeah, Elf on the Shelf, not really my thing, we thought we could give you some really healthy alternatives. So uh, we just thought, man, there's some great alternatives to this that would be beneficial for you. So you've heard of Elf on the Shelf. Uh, what about Caesar in a freezer? Maybe that's more your speed. Or you've heard of Elf, uh, Elf on a Shelf. What about Putin on a Newton? Maybe that's more your speed. Perhaps, if you've heard of Elf on the Shelf, you would like Obama on a llama. Or maybe, if you've heard of Elf on the Shelf, you'd prefer Trump on a stump. Now, if politics is not your thing, we've got you covered, okay? There's always, always Snoop on a stoop. And I got to appreciate not only the, the bling, but the joint hanging out of his mouth, right? He's... He rolled a fat one there, and uh, that can be a part of your Christmas tradition as well. So I hope you found something useful in that, and uh, we try to be equal opportunity offenders here, so there you go. We're in a second week of a series called uh, Reasons for the Season, and the reason we're calling it that is because we're all familiar with this phrase, Jesus is the reason for the season, and we understand the sentiment behind that. That's a great, uh, the meaning behind that is, you know, let's, let's try to keep Jesus at the center of the, the season and why we celebrate and sort of fight the over-commercialization of this holiday season. And yet, we said last week, and I'd encourage you, if you missed last week, go back and watch last week online because the idea is this, that really, at the end of the day, you and I are the reason for the season. That Jesus came into the world for us. That Christmas, at the end of the day, really benefits you. It really benefits me. Uh, Christmas is for the benefit of the world. And so we said this last week, one of the reasons Jesus came into the world, Jesus came to bless the world. And so we we jumped into Bill and Ted's time machine and traveled through time last week, and uh, we we walked through the original promise of Abraham that God made to a guy named Abram, whose name eventually became Abraham, and, and that through his descendants, all of the earth would be blessed, that every person on earth would be blessed. And ultimately, Jesus was the fulfillment of that promise. And through Jesus, Jesus came to bless the world. And so uh, that's one of the reasons that we celebrate the season, that Jesus came into the world to bless the world. But why else did Jesus come? There's, there's another reason that's really, really important for us to look at today. And it's this, Jesus came to demonstrate what God is like. Jesus came to demonstrate, to show us what God is like. Have you ever wondered what God is like? Have you ever thought to yourself, I wonder what God is like? I wonder, I, I wonder uh, about how he operates and, and how he handles things and, you know, what, what, what are his priorities? And if you've ever wondered that, you're not alone. That's pretty common for us to wonder what God is like. And every once in a while, you come across a song by an artist, and not all artists do this, all right? But every once in a while, you come across a song by an artist that really seems to capture Uh, some of the feelings that you feel or some of the things that you're thinking that you're maybe not quite able to articulate or put into words. And I'll share one of those this morning. One of mine is a song by the band Train, and it's a song called uh, Calling All Angels. And here's some of the lyrics of this song. I need a sign 
to let me know you're here. Because my TV set just keeps it all from being clear. I want a reason for the way things have to be. I need a hand to help build up some kind of hope inside of me. You ever felt like that? Maybe a better question is, have you ever not felt like that? I mean, we can kind of relate to that, can't we? Uh, God, I just need some assurance that you're with me. I need some assurance that you know my name. I just need some assurance that, that I'm not alone in all of this. I need some assurance that you have a bigger purpose to all the craziness of this life. And maybe it's comforting to know that that isn't just something that we struggle with, that we aren't the first people to, to wrestle with those feelings or those questions. But Jesus' followers and his first century disciples wrestled with the same thing. So this isn't a, an American issue or a 21st century issue. This is just a people issue. This is something that human beings experience and questions that we ask and emotions that we go through. And so one of Jesus' disciples, a guy named Philip, is wrestling with the same thing. And it's just, it's the, it's the day that Jesus would be betrayed, the day that Jesus would be arrested. And he's talking with his disciples and he's sharing some things with them. And they don't fully understand what he's trying to communicate to them. And in the midst of this, in the middle of what Jesus is saying to them, a guy named Philip, one of his followers, stops Jesus. He says this, just... Lord, just show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. Lord, just show us the Father. Just assure us that things are going to be okay, that, that things aren't spinning out of control. Just assure us that, that God is a part of this whole thing. Just show us the Father. I, I need a sign to let us know that he's here, to let us know that he's paying attention. And I think we can relate to Philip. I think that if we had that kind of certainty, if that kind of assurance, that I just know that God is that he's here, that we'd be fine. Or at least we'd be fine enough to navigate all of the crazy things that this world throws at us. And what's amazing is that Jesus came to demonstrate what God is like. And Philip is looking at Jesus and he's saying, just show us what God is like. And he's looking at the one who came to show us what God is like. And this happens all the time today. It's so easy for us to get kind of caught up in different emotions and different feelings and different circumstances that we are going through that tend to shade our view of what God is really like. And it's easy for us to, uh, man, I'm guilty of this as much as anybody else, kind of think like, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? How, how, why, are you, why is the world going like this? And why am I in the midst of these circumstances? And surely, if you are who you say you are, then I wouldn't be experiencing what I'm experiencing. And yet, I got to tell you, when, when people tell me the reasons that they don't follow God or the reasons they don't believe in God or the reasons they don't have a relationship with God, oftentimes, it has nothing to do with Jesus. Almost every, every single time it's, well, I, I had this picture of God in my mind and God didn't live up to that picture. And so therefore I had to separate, the, I had to sort of divorce in my mind or, you know, separate in my mind the idea that God was ever going to be this picture of what I thought it would be. And never does it have anything to do with Jesus. And I, and I find myself wondering, what do you do with Jesus though? How do you handle that if you not paid any attention to Jesus? Oftentimes our idea of what God is and what God should be like has nothing to do with Jesus. But one of the main reasons that Jesus came was to demonstrate exactly what God is like, to clarify for us exactly who it is that we're dealing with. And we've all had false ideas about God. All of us at some point in our lives have had false notions or false ideas about what we think God is or who we think God is or how we think God should behave or interact with us. And the reason I know that's true is because I know it's true about you because I know it's true about me. And the reason I know it's true about me is because I've had ideas about God that I firmly believed 20 years ago that I no longer believe today. 
And I, I sincerely believed those things, but then I, as, I, as I dove into it more, I realized that's not who God claimed to be at all. And you can have an idea about God, and you can be completely wrong about your idea about God. In fact, the Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of what we now have as our English Bible, our English New Testament, he wrote letters to churches and individuals. Before he was known as the Apostle Paul, he was known as Saul of Tarsus. And as Saul of Tarsus, uh, he was convinced that he was right about God and that he was right with God. He was convinced, I know exactly who God is and I'm right with God. I've done all the things. And he would arrest followers of the way of Jesus. And then one day he came to a sudden realization that he was not right about God and he was not right with God because he had one single interaction with Jesus. And in one afternoon, everything that he thought he knew about God and everything he thought he knew about being right with God changed because of one interaction with Jesus. In fact, when writing about himself, uh, Paul would uh, uh, kind of give his biography in his own words and talk about, man, when I grew up, I was a Pharisee. I was an expert in the, in the law of Moses and, and, and keeping all of the customs. In fact, he would write this about himself to a letter uh, in, uh, to people in Philippi. He says, as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Paul would say, I, I, I was a Pharisee, and when it came to keeping the law, when it came to keeping the customs of the law and keeping the law of Moses, I, I had attained perfection. I was without fault. And then he met Jesus and realized, I, I, I was wrong about God. I, I wasn't right about God, and I'm not right with God. And so later on, he'd be writing to a guy named Timothy, and he would write this. This is the new bio in his LinkedIn profile. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. Paul, what happened? I met Jesus. And here's what I discovered. I was not right about God. And I was not right with God. And when I met Jesus, I realized I didn't have the complete picture. And so the apostle Paul would spend the rest of his life, he would devote the rest of his life to making sure that people had the complete picture of what God is like, that they would understand that this is the God that is demonstrated in Jesus. He would do everything in his power to point people to that complete picture. In one of his letters, he's writing to people in Colossae and he's describing for them this exact dynamic that happened to him. How he used to think I had to keep all the customs. I had to keep all of the sacrificial, uh, you know, sacrificial uh, ceremonies and, and laws and dietary restrictions and all of these things in order to be right with God. And at a certain point, he's saying to them, but here's what I've come to discover about all of these things that I thought I was right about God. I thought I was right with God. And here's what I've come to discover about all of these things. He would say this, these are only shadows of the reality that was yet to come. Now, here's what's amazing about shadows. When it comes to shadows, you can know a lot of things about something based on its shadow, but you can't know everything about something based on its shadow. You can get an idea Based on a shadow, you can get an idea of what's casting the shadow, but you can't make out the full picture of what's casting that shadow. It's why you've been on a walk before, and uh, you're walking, and the sun is setting low, and all of a sudden, your legs are 13 feet long, and you have a tiny little head. And you go, well, that's definitely, I definitely think there's a person casting that shadow, but I'm not 17 feet high, you know? And my head's a little bigger than a little pebble. Because what happens is the shadow gives you an idea of the real thing, but it's incomplete. And what Paul would say is this, everything that came before Jesus, it's not wrong, it's just incomplete. The shadow points to the something, but it wasn't the something itself. It was a shadow that was being cast by something, but it wasn't the something itself. And Paul would say, that's why I, uh, that's why I thought about God. 
I thought I was right about God and I thought I was right with God. But then I had an encounter with the one who cast the shadow and it changed everything. So he would say this, these are only shadows of the reality that was yet to come and Christ himself is that reality. He says, he's the the clear picture. This is one of the reasons for the season. See, until the arrival of Jesus, everybody guessed. Every world religion, not just just the Jewish custom and those who followed the, the law of Moses and Judaism, but every world religion, every pagan religion, all of them were guessing. Every pagan religion, every world religion was trying, <coughs> excuse me, trying to figure out something because they knew there was something beyond us. There's something out there. There's some power. There's some force sort of running the universe. How do we, how do we make sure that we're right with whatever that is? But they had to guess and they all fell short because all they had was the shadow of the real thing. And when you're looking at a shadow, you have an idea of what it is, but you don't have clarity. And once you have the real thing standing with you, you no longer look to the shadow to bring clarity. You just look at the real thing. And Paul says, Jesus came and Jesus gave us the complete picture. On that first Christmas, God would do something that would change everything for everybody. On that first Christmas, God came to be with us, to demonstrate for us exactly what he's like, exactly what it takes to be right with God the Father. Now, there's always going to be a little mystery because we, in our finite human minds, we can't fully comprehend everything in eternity of a, of a com- completely powerful and you know, uh, infinite God. And so there's always going to be a little mystery. But God is a loving Father who will accommodate to our capacity. And For example, you get this question, where do babies come from? Well, there's different answers, right? If you're a parent, there's different answers depending on who's asking. You have one answer for your five-year-old. That's a different answer than you give a 12-year-old. And where do babies come from gets a totally different answer for a pre-med student. Very different based on capacity, right? And so we accommodate, out of love, we accommodate our answers to the capacity of the person asking. That's why there's a lot of confusion when it comes to some of the things that we read in the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. People go, well, there's, there's all kinds of things going on in there that, that are like, how can you condone this stuff? But it's much more of a description of what's happening in human history. This isn't God saying, this is what I want. This is God accommodating to their capacity as he brings humanity forward. And then on that first Christmas, God revealed himself in the clearest way possible. He entered the world. God entered the world because he wanted you to know what he's like. God entered the world because he wanted me to know what he's like. He wanted the world to know what he's like. So he sent the world the best version of himself. He sent the world himself. He came in. God took on flesh and bone. And now this is how Jesus explains it in his own words. Jesus is at this uh, kind of the, the last supper that he'll have with his disciples. It's the day that he's going to get betrayed and arrested and ultimately be put to death. And he's with his disciples. And he's, these are guys that have traveled with him for a few years. And he's explaining to them what's going to happen. Now, this is pretty jarring for them because a week, a week earlier, they had come into Jerusalem to a lot of fanfare and a lot of hype. And people were proclaiming, Jesus is going to be the next king. And the disciples are thinking, this is pretty good for us. He's probably going to overthrow the Roman Empire, at least, you know, where where they reign in our part of the world. And then he's going to become the king. And since we're close to Jesus, we're kind of, you know, we're going to really benefit from this. 
And here they are a week later, and Jesus is going, so listen, here's what's going to happen, guys. I'm going to be betrayed. One of you is going to betray me, and uh, I'm going to get arrested, and I'm going to be put to death. And they're like, whoa, this is not what we signed up for. And he's trying to explain to them, and I'm going away, and where I'm going, you can't quite go with me yet. And they're absolutely beside themselves. This is jarring information to be receiving. It's exactly the opposite of what they thought they had arrived in Jerusalem to do. And so Jesus begins this section, and he's, he's talking to them, and here's what he says. And this is recorded for us by uh, John, who's one of Jesus' closest friends and disciples. And this is Jesus talking to them. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Guys, don't let your hearts be troubled. Listen, you trust in God, right? They go, yeah, of course we trust in God. I mean, we're good, we're good Jewish boys. I mean, we've been told to trust in God since we were born. We've trusted in God for a long time. He goes, okay, trust also in me. Hold on, Jesus. So, so what you're saying is, in the same way that we put our trust in God, we're to put our trust in you. So, so you're saying you're like God, like you're equating yourself to God. Now, that would have been uh, pretty similar to treason. That would have been punishable by death in Jewish law. And Jesus says, yeah, I, I am the same as God. If you can trust God, you can trust me. And John, who's writing this, is going, man, I mean, this is insane. Nobody can say that. that. You're not allowed to say that kind of stuff. But here's what we know. On our way to Jerusalem, we stopped and there was a guy who had been dead for four days and Jesus brought him back to life. I mean, he wasn't freshly dead. He was four days dead. And Jesus brought him back to life. So as crazy as this sounds, Jesus, and as, as treasonous and as blasphemous as this sounds, we all just kind of leaned in and we just wanted to hear more. Like, where is he going with this? So Jesus continues. He says this, there is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And he's talking about his death. He's talking about his death and resurrection. And he's being pretty casual about it. Pretty cavalier about his own death and resurrection. And they're going, Jesus, if you're talking about your death and resurrection, how can you be so casual about this? How can you talk about it just so casually and so cavalier? And, and Jesus says, oh, and by the way, you know the way to where I'm going. And they're like, we do? We know where you're going? And, and Thomas, I, I love Thomas because Thomas is this guy who uh, throughout human history, he's kind of gotten this, this bad rap. Thomas is a guy who, after Jesus rose from the dead, and they said, Thomas, we've seen Jesus. And he wasn't there the first time. He's like, I don't believe it. I'm like, no, we saw him. And he goes, unless I see him myself, unless I see the scars in his hands, if I see the scar in his side, unless I see that, I won't believe it. And so throughout history, he's gotten this bad rap. His nickname is Doubting Thomas. But I love Thomas, because I think Thomas asks great questions. And I think Jesus loves Thomas so much, because Thomas, Thomas is this guy that is like, He's going to say what everybody's thinking, but nobody had the guts to say. So they're in the midst of it, and Jesus goes, come on, guys, you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas is like, anybody going to say anything? Nobody? Okay, I got this. No, we don't. <laughs> no, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? And one of the reasons we believe, by the way, this is kind of just a side note, but one of the reasons we believe that the eyewitness accounts are so accurate is because the characters in the story, the main characters, seem to be so confused and so bewildered right up to the end. And do you know why they seem so confused and so bewildered right to the end? Because they are actually confused and bewildered right up to the end. Because that's how it actually happens. They don't write themselves in as the hero of the story. They actually just tell the truth. Like, this is what we were like. There's no way. 
We're confused. We're bewildered. And Jesus' response to their question is so profound that if we could ever get this into our hearts, if we could get this into our spirits, if we could just wrap our minds around what Jesus says, Thomas like, Lord, we don't know the way. Just show us the way to the Father. We don't even know where you're going. How do we know the way? And here's Jesus' response. Jesus told him, I am the way. I'm the truth and I'm the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. Guys, you want to know the way, you already know the way. You, you want to know the way to the Father? I'm the way to the Father. I, I, I'm, I'm the truth about who God is. I'm the life that's found in God. No one reasons their way to God without first understanding me. If you want to know what God is like, you look to me. If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. Now, this is where so many of us This is where so many of us, myself included, in different situations, in different circumstances, get our faith all twisted and all out of sorts. And sometimes, you know, we we, we get our faith kind of crippled because we have so many ideas about what God is like. And a lot of our ideas about what God is like are based on a religious upbringing that we had. They're based on an interaction that we had with someone who claims to wear the Christian label. They're, they're based on you know, what we were taught as a kid or what we read somewhere or what we were taught in school or college or what our parents believed about God. But you can't try to figure out who God is or what God is like if you don't first look at the person and teachings and death and resurrection of Jesus. Which leads to the thing that Jesus says next, which is the reason for the season. And it's why you should consider, it's why you should consider following Jesus. Or at the very least, if it's been a while, if, if you've kind of held God at arm, arm's distance, it's why you should reconsider following Jesus. Because what Jesus says next is so profound. It's so helpful if we can wrap our minds around this. Jesus would say this. If you had really known me, you would know who my father is. And from now on, you do know him and you have seen him. And they go, we do? We have? And Jesus says, yes. Why do you think I stuck around? Why do you think I've been dragging you around these last three years? Uh, Like, you know what the father is like because you know what I'm like. You've seen him because you've seen me. I'm as clear as it gets. I came to reduce the mystery and I came to bring clarity. God, who loves you, wants you to know what he's like. And from this point forward, the world will know what God is like because God became one of you so that you could know what God is like and how much God loves you. And still, they didn't get it. And oftentimes, we're in the same boat. We miss this so many times. I get discouraged. I look at the circumstances around me. I get so tempted to give up when I lose sight of this, this one truth, that if I want to know what God is like, and if I want to know how God operates, I have to look at Jesus. And the moment I try to figure out God, apart from Jesus, life gets very confusing. See, if you're looking anywhere than Jesus, anywhere else other than Jesus, to try to figure out who God is or what God is like, you are looking in the wrong place. And it's why it's possible that some of you along the way lost faith. It's why some of you along the way decided, okay, this whole God thing, church thing, religion thing, faith thing, whatever label you want to put on it, 
I got to keep that at arm's distance. It's why at some point in your life, you put God in the rearview mirror and said, I can't go back to that because somewhere along the way, you had a picture painted for you or you had somehow arrived at some kind of conclusion of this is what God is like and it didn't include Jesus. And it was based on something you were taught as a kid or a church you were a part of or a you know, Bible, vacation Bible school or something you read in college and, and you were like, okay, this is who God is. And then reality happened in your life. And you faced a circumstance and you faced a situation and it didn't match up with the picture that you had of God. And so then you, you were forced to say, well, I can't believe in God. I have to distance myself from that because that doesn't match up with my current reality. It no longer fits in with the construct of the faith that I was handed. You couldn't reconcile the two. But Jesus says this, if you'll look at me, you will see God, your father in action. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. You want to know the way to God? I'm the way to God. You want to know the truth about God? You find it in me. You want to find life in God? You find it in me. Now, many people will read that verse and say, man, that just seems so exclusive. That's why I can't get behind this God, and that's why I can't worship this God, and that's why, you know, I got to do away with Christianity, because that just seems so exclusive. I understand that. I understand that vantage point. I think it's incredibly clarifying I think it's incredibly simplifying to take all of the ideas that we have about God, to take all of the things that we wonder about God. God, what, are you, what is God like and how does he operate? And what, is, what are his priorities? And all of the things that are written in the scriptures and all the different things and different interpretations and, and, and to, to have one thing that we can focus on, I think that's incredibly clarifying. To go, okay, if I want to make sense of all of this, I just look at Jesus I want to know what God is like. I just have to look at Jesus. Jesus is the clearest picture that we have of what God is like. And this is the part in the conversation where Philip speaks up. He says this, just show us the Father. We'll be satisfied. They still don't get it. And so we need to know. We just need to know. And we need a sign. And Philip's going, God, we just need Jesus. Just, just give us a sign. We just want to know that he's here. Just give us a sign. Just tell us what God is like. Jesus says this. Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And then he would say this. He's like, guys, don't you understand? Everything I say, I say because my heavenly Father tells me to say it. And everything I do, I do because it's the Father working through me. You want want me to show you the Father, but if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know him because you know me. You've seen him because you've seen me. We are one. He's in me and I am in him. And he would say this. At least, at least... Believe because of the work you have seen me do. If you can't believe it just based on just the words that I'm telling you, look at what you've experienced over the last three years. Do you remember even just last week? Remember Lazarus was dead for four days and we brought him back to life? If you can't believe based on what I'm telling you, just look at the work that you've seen over the last several years. Don't you get it? Everything I do, everything I say is because God is working through me. You know what God is like because you've seen me. So what's the reason for the season? 
Jesus came to demonstrate what God is like, to give us the clearest picture, to remove the mystery, to provide clarity. And if you're trying to figure out what God is like apart from Jesus, you are looking in the wrong place. And it might help you to know that at this point, finally, the disciples still did not get it. Because after Jesus is done sharing all this with them and and they share in the Last Supper together, Jesus is betrayed, he's arrested, and all of his disciples scatter and abandon him out of fear for their own life and their own safety. And then Jesus is put to death. And in the moment Jesus is put to death, none of them are thinking, all right, just three days and he's coming back. What they're thinking is, it's over. The movement is over. The rabbi is over. He's died. The, The movement's done. And... This is it. He is not who he said he was. The only thing that convinced them was that they saw him die. And then they saw him alive again. It is the resurrection of Jesus that changed everything for them. After his resurrection, they became convinced that Jesus didn't only provide the best explanation of God, but that Jesus was the best explanation of God. They became convinced if we want to know what God is like, we just have to look at Jesus. And the only way that we can comprehend what God is like in our modern era is if God chooses to reveal himself to us in ways that we can understand. And fortunately, God the Father wanted you to know exactly what he's like and wanted me to know exactly what he's like. So he revealed himself in the person of Jesus. And so John, one of Jesus' closest friends and one of his followers who's recording all of this for us, later on, John would, would, you know, before he dies, he goes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write an account of everything that I knew. And he would say, man, I, I want to put together this, uh, all the things that I saw and all the things that I witnessed. And I want to put this all together so that people will believe that Jesus is who he says he is. In fact, he would say this, I've, I've carefully chosen different stories and different things that point to the, the clarity of who Jesus is. But if all the things were written about all the things that Jesus has ever done, I would imagine that the world is not big enough to contain all of the books that would be written about him. A bit of an exaggeration and hyperbole, but he makes his point. And so he's writing about Jesus. And he's saying, man, when I look back and all the things that Jesus did and all the things that he taught and all the things that he said, I, I realize he actually revealed God to us, that he actually demonstrated to us what God is like. And so John would write this in his account of the life of Jesus. He says, no one has ever seen God But the unique one, Jesus, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Later on, the Apostle Paul, who had an idea that he was right about God and that he was right with God and then became convinced, man, I'm the worst of sinners. He would eventually write this to a group of people in Colossae. He would say this, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, you look to Jesus. And then... Someone would write a letter to followers of Jesus living in uh, Jerusalem and in Judea and all of the people that were Hebrew followers of Jesus and, and specifically writing, digging back through their history and saying, man, here's how God used to speak to us through the prophets, but now he's doing something new. And and the author would say this, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors many times and in many ways through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. He is the one through whom God created the universe, the one whom God has chosen to possess all things at the end. He reflects the brightness of God's glory and is the exact likeness of God's own being. This phrase, the exact likeness of God's own being, is repeated through many different uh, sort of uh, translations of the Bible. 
And the Bible gets translated into English from different things, and sometimes the words are just a little bit different here, a little bit different there, but they, they capture the essence. Here's what several different translations say of this exact phrase. One says, imprinted with God's image. The other one says, Jesus is the exact representation of God's being. Another one says, Jesus perfectly mirrors God and is stamped with God's nature. Or Jesus is the perfect copy of God's nature. Or Jesus is the imprint of God's being. You want to know what God's like? You want to know the reason for the season? Jesus came to demonstrate what God is like. Jesus came into this world to demonstrate for you and for me what God is like. And if your understanding of Jesus or if your interaction with his followers or if your experience with church has become something other than good news, then it's very possible and very likely that the real Jesus has been hijacked or polluted with politics or opinions or religion. And if your understanding of God has been warped by some kind of church or some kind of theological position or by some preacher or by someone who sort of wears the Christian label, I got to tell you, I'm sorry. But don't let them paint the full picture of what God is like for you. See, if you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. And specifically, if you want to know what God is like, you look at how Jesus loved. Look at the way he loved. Look at the way he treated people. And some of you have maybe pushed God away or you've kept God at arm's distance because your view of God is unloving or angry or distant or maybe even egotistical or exclusive. And during this season, I want to encourage you to remember what God is like, not by looking at the traditions and not by looking at religion and not by looking at doctrines and not by looking at theological viewpoints or, or people who wear the Christian label. I want to encourage you to remember what this God is like by looking at the person of Jesus. Look at what he said. Look at what he did. And most importantly, look at how Jesus loves. And in his own words, this is, this is the example that Jesus gives of how much God loves the world. He would say this. This is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone... Now, that word everyone, it's a, it's a Greek word that just means everyone. <laughs> everyone who believes. Everyone who puts their trust in him will not perish, meaning will not be lost, will not lose relationship with God, but will have eternal life, will exist forever and ever as a part of God's family in relationship with God. Any, anyone, everyone who puts their trust in him. That's not exclusive. That's clarifying. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. If your experience with God is that you constantly feel judged, you've got the wrong image of God. In Jesus' own words, he's the clearest picture of what God is like, and he did not come into the world to judge the world. He did not come into the world to judge you and to judge me. He came to save the world, to save you and to save me, to save us from our sins, to save us from ourselves, to save us from the things that leave us feeling more entrapped and more enslaved, to bring freedom. This is the message of Christmas. This is the reason for the season. That there is no depth that your creator will not descend to for you. There is no place of messiness. God will not meet you in order to have relationship with you. And there is no situation that God will not enter into to demonstrate his love for you. There's nothing wrong with the lights and the cookies and the Christmas tree and the music and the traditions and, you know, elf on the shelf. But if God feels distant to you, I want to remind you 
Jesus is Emmanuel. God is with us. And he came to earth specifically to demonstrate what God is like and how much God loves us. And then, to really demonstrate his love for us, Jesus allowed himself to be put to death. His body was laid in a tomb, and according to multiple eyewitness accounts, Jesus rose from the dead. And that means death is not the end. There is more to this life than this life. And anyone and everyone who puts their trust in him will not perish, will not be lost to God, but can experience eternal life forever as a part of God's family. If you've never said yes to that invitation, I want to invite you to do that. And if you're following Jesus, but you've had a picture of what God is like, and it's like, man, it just, it feels like when I think about God, uh, the feelings that I feel are judgment or condemnation or guilt, or I have all these feelings like I'm somehow falling short. You might have the wrong image of God. The God that's found in Jesus has come to, not to judge, but to set you free, to rescue you from your sin, to rescue you from yourself. And so maybe it's time to shift your perspective and look at the God that's found in Jesus. And if you've never said yes to the invitation, you can say yes by just agreeing with this prayer as we close. God, please forgive my sins. Forgive me for the times that I have walked away from you, kept you at arm's distance, put you in the rearview mirror. I'm so glad you never walk away from me. So I want to say yes to your invitation. Make me your son. Make me your daughter. And help me to put my trust in you and to follow you as best as I know how from this moment on. And God, I pray for every one of us who are following you. And sometimes, God, our faith gets a little bit crippled or a little bit twisted because we've got these ideas of what you're supposed to be like. And I pray that the one idea that would endure for us is that we would look to Jesus the clearest picture of what you're like, that we would look specifically at how Jesus loved. And God, let that inform our faith. And God, we pray that as we do that, we would love as Jesus has loved us. And as we do that, let it point others to you. We pray this in your name. Amen.